Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Littlejohn and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I know you have been super stoked since we last spoke uh, last Tuesday. You've been like, wait, can we do this again? Joining us on this Tunday, the best Tuesday you've had all week. It is a Tunday for sure. Everybody was off playing yesterday, enjoying that extra day off. Well, I yep. hope you were. If you yep. weren't, I'm sorry, if but you thank you for going right. to work. Because the stock market was closed, so we cram five days into four. That makes Tuesday a Tunday. So welcome in studio, Katie. Thank you. And also joining us today, Matthew Dixon. Matthew Dixon in studio. Uh, so we're uh, we're excited to have you back, Matt. All right, we're going to be today. We wanted to, so we've been discussing what to discuss. Right? It's, you know what? I will tell you coming up with new subjects every week is daunting sometimes because we want to make it relevant to you guys. We want to make sure it's something that we feel that you get something out of. Well, and if you've been, we've been doing this now for, I don't know, six, years? seven years. Yeah, years. And so, so it feels like we are like on repeat sometimes, but. We always have new listeners, so it's always good to repeat well, you, certain information. There are, there are things that get repeated, and there's new stuff, right? So we we can cover a spectrum, you know, new stuff, things like... Politicians change? Fed, yep, there's changes, but, but also Fed policy. Did you know that there are some subtle Fed policy changes going on right now that people have not necessarily noticed? Like what? Money supply tightening. Um, yeah, so I will say I've noticed that. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, you probably are not seeing it in like the mortgage space. Uh-oh, what do we got? Oh, do we probably need to get Matt too? Yep, look at that. We fixed it. I put the button. Now Matthew's on. I'm back. Right? I'm so, here. By, by the way, it's a live show. So yes. There's... <laughs> Thanks, Dale, for fixing that. It'd be fun um, one time to actually have like a blooper reel, although we're not recorded in that way, so I don't know the, how far you get on the okay, blooper well, reel. But now anyway. you've actually got... Matthew studio with us too. So, uh, okay. So you mentioned mortgage rates. So you we haven't seen well, it necessarily yeah, so mortgage in mortgage rates. Mortgage rates have sort of been creeping back down a little bit, which is interesting. Uh, hmm. But they kind of bounced a little, right? Like they've gone up, yes. they've gone down. They, yes. They're kind of like they're just they're uh, still low. I mean, they're really low. Right. right. And but, people are still refinancing. You know, we everything got weird. But the, the so why do we care if the Fed is tightening the money supply? Like, first of all, what does it mean when I say that? Matt, you've been studying like crazy. I what, have. Is, what does that mean? So they're tightening the money supply such that we... Um, I guess, what does it imply? I'm, I, so I'm, I'm leading the witness a little bit here. Well, there's, when you hear that term, for our listeners, you're hearing like, what does it mean, tightening the money supply? So as they, as they buy treasury... Um, the oh I'm spacing it. The, no, you're, you're, you're the, trying to get the, over the weeds. So yeah. does that mean it's inflationary? Is that no, what we're talking so about? We're not talking about what inflation. What it literally means is they are they are removing dollars from circulation or making it more expensive to borrow. Okay, tightening money supply means it's harder to access money. Loose money supply means that it's easier. Right, this they're trying to also, encourage you to go spend it. This is also when it comes to interest rates, there's a term that they sometimes use, hawkish or dovish, right? Like in, in the stock market, we hear bulls and bears. But what are hawks and doves? Oh, man, this whole thing is an animal kingdom sometimes. So, so a hawkish Fed is one that wants to see higher interest rates. They are in favor of tightening the money supply, making it harder or more expensive to borrow. 
They are they are different, right? Harder to borrow means more restrictions on who can access it versus more expensive to borrow, which means higher interest rates for borrowers, right? Two different things. Right. Okay. Dovish is the opposite. Dovish is wanting to generally have a, a looser money supply, lower interest rates, make it easier for people to access capital. So if you think about in the COVID environment, were we in a hawkish or dovish environment from the Federal Reserve? In the co like last year? During COVID, the last year or so. Well, the last year or so, it's been really cheap. Last, they would want the money the last supply to 10 be. 10 years, honestly. Well, it's been it's been cheap to borrow money. Yeah, I mean, the interest rates dovish. keep going down, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, they went from five, and everybody's like, "Ooh, five percent," and then it went to four, and three, and two, and at some point, we were like, "Is it gonna go negative?" Like, because there are countries that have negative interest rates. There are NERP, right? Negative interest rate policy, NERP, NERP. or zero interest rate policy, ZERP. Okay, <laughs> that sounds like you deserve a hit upside the head when you say that, ZERP. It's, it does, ZERP. So, the idea though is a dovish Fed is going to try to keep money in circulation. That is intended to be stimulative to the economy. Right. It's also intended to incentivize some inflation. Right? Cuz the Fed has two mandates. Who remembers what the two mandates of the Federal Reserve are? Nah. Low unemployment and manage interest rates. So they want they're looking for target inflation of about 2%. Now, they're willing to let inflation creep higher from time to time if the rolling average is around 2% in the economy. So they want some inflation. Well, we haven't had any in a while. Well, we haven't had significant, and then all of a sudden we had a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't tell me that we're not experiencing inflation in housing and energy and food prices right, right now. Well, and is that, is, I mean, is that the chicken or the egg thing? Like, is it inflation or is it supply chain or yes? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> the, the question is, I think what you're really asking is, is this permanent or transitory? Right. Okay, like, Actually, that's a great way to phrase it. Thank you, David. Yeah, because, I mean, if there's less supply out there, then, yeah, it makes it more expensive, right? I mean, if we, if we are not able to get our supply needs met, gasoline prices increase, it automatically increases the cost of goods. But was that triggered from an inflationary event or a supply chain? Now, it'll be interesting to see if it stays. Right. And that's right. the question I have. Because I would say it is inflationary. The question is, will it remain inflated? So that's what I mean. Transitory means, well, it's going to happen for a little while, then it's going to kind of wash its way out of the system and things will stabilize and come back into a little bit more of what we would perceive as normal. Right. Well, I mean, and as companies are opening back up and people are getting back to work, we would assume the supply chain would be filled back up eventually. So then the question right. is whether or not the widget stays the same cost or continues to go up even when we have a higher supply. And less right. demand. So that would be permanent as opposed to transitory. Right. right. That's the other question. So I think we have seen inflation, but we also uh, careful how you measure. Right. The reason that the government likes in the Fed in particular likes to measure with blended indexes is because some things are transitory in nature. Right. Like what? Like fuel prices. They seasonally change. Oh, yeah. It's summertime. It automatically is more expensive. <laughs> right. People drive more in the summer, typically. So fuel demand goes up. So price tends to go up in the summer. So cyclical pricing. Well, and based on what I heard, I think some of it due to COVID, that this last 4th of July weekend was the most highly traveled weekend ever. Really? Ever. Yeah, it very well may be. I've heard some very interesting statistics about certainly some of the highest gas prices in seven years. I think it was the highest in seven years was this 4th of July. Uh, it was the highest since 2008 was the last I heard. Wow. It was just more than seven years. So 
it's been <laughs> just a few more. Yeah. But who's counting? I checked. It was more. <laughs> so <laughs> you get the idea, though. Now, back to the original question of uh, dovish versus hawkish and the Fed starting to tighten or restrict the money supply. Did they raise interest rates? They don't appear to. I haven't heard anything. They did not. I haven't so heard anything. What they used is some other interesting tools. Matt, you were sneaking around this point. Yeah. Right? You're sneaking around. Because like one of the things the Federal Reserve does is it, in collaboration and cooperation with the Treasury Department, right. they will buy or sell Treasury bonds as a way to influence money supply. Right. And, and that's where I thought this was going. Right. And Isn't it's it hard when you understand a concept but yeah. can't figure out how to articulate it? Yeah, well, especially putting in the, layman's yeah, it was, terms. Like, it was this just, is... you were getting into the mechanical function of what they often do, but they use another tool which has to do with the short-term overnight lending. Not in setting the intrabank lending rate, but using something called a repo or repurchase agreement. Right. And so the Fed came out and did some reverse repos, which is sort of the opposite of a repurchase. So they agreement. did tighten the supply, they, but it, they took liquidity. It was kind of off of the, the radar. Yes. Yeah. That to me is Sneaky significant Fed. because what they're doing is to the informed economist, they are sort of tipping their hat a little bit. So the, the sort of like giving that signal or a wink saying, we're aware that this economy is showing some signs of actual inflationary tendencies. And so we're going to sort of, it'd be like tapping the brakes enough to get the brake lights to come on so the people behind you know, right? That's so when sort do you think the interest on. rates will follow? So it depends. They may not. Okay. There's, okay. Some, there's other elements at play here. Keep in mind that we have a tremendous amount of money in the system that came through COVID stimulus, right? right? PPP yep. loans. And a lot EIDL of it's still loans. out there. Still out there. But and there there's were, still incentives, too, to keep continuing to do those things. So, and they're still pushing for that. And then there's still the unemployment benefits that have been increased. That's a whole other animal. If, if employers are wringing their hands saying, struggling to find people to work because... They they just can't find workers. Right. Well, if and there have been workers now. I have not seen this directly, but so this is hearsay. But I know of employers that tell me they can't get workers because the workers will inform them. They inter interview, everything looks good, and then they say, "Well, I had the interview to do the unemployment unemployment qualification, it, yep. but I actually would take a pay cut to go to work with you instead of just continuing to receive my unemployment." I know it's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. That that by the way is something we call a pernicious incentive. Right? You've you've been on this if you listen to the show for a long time, you've heard me say that before. Pernicious incentive. That's when the government puts something in place that incentivizes the wrong behavior. Right. Right? We don't want people to go on unemployment and be better off than when they're employed. We don't want somebody to be way worse off, but it shouldn't be a position where, you know what? Don't go back to work. You're better off just doing nothing. Or you're well, more comfortable on unemployment. There's, But there's also assumptions built in, right? Like as mask mandates are being lifted and as people are being vaccinated, it's like, a, hey, now that the world is opening up again, the assumption is that everybody's just going to return. And that hasn't been happening either. So uh, this is kind of my larger point to, is it transitory or not? We're not sure. It depends on how long some of these really market altering or market intervening policies occur. If you pay people not to work, that's significant. If you 
uh, have a moratorium on eviction. Yes. Okay. That that is a massive influence on housing prices. Right. Okay. It is. So it will absolutely affect the cost of housing because it it really impacts the supply curve. Right. And didn't right. that just end a couple of days ago? So mm, I not really with I, the renters. I think it depends on where. Right. I, I understood that Oregon extended it, but I could be mistaken on that. I so for all of our listeners, it. I don't. I knew it was coming up. It was coming up, okay. and like like at the end of June, it was supposed to be the moratorium was ending. And I don't extended. know if it was extended till September, or there was debate, and it wasn't. Well, so. and even if it's lifted state or federally, that doesn't mean that every institution is going to follow suit immediately either. They're going to still kind of tread. Well, I think that it relatively does here, right? Like if they say, "Hey, it's we're we're done doing this," but it's going to take some weeks to shake out. Right. You right. Know, that's that's what I was getting at. To evict. Right. And when you're like, well, if you're not paying your rent, I can officially evict you now. There is going to be a whole new set of challenges that come out of that scenario, too. Oof. So I want to see how this works its way through the system in the next couple of months. Right. So I think that that could make some of these inflationary pressures more transitory, depending on how it works. But we'll see. So there you go. So you hear the music. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, probably the economy. Also, the biggie is what's the price of advice these days in this inflationary world? We want to pick that apart. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, we are covering all kinds of fun, and you just missed the whole long debate over, uh, hey, things that change in the economy, and they're subtle, right? So if you're curious what that was all about, check out the podcast. It's available at littlejohnfs.com. Check under the Educate tab, and you will find bunches of podcasts, including this one. It will post tomorrow. So I want to talk about something a little different, but totally relevant. And it is not not the economy. It's about price, right? But not well, just. Well, we were talking about price because we were talking about the price of the housing market, right? Well, I want to talk more about some other prices, and in this case, what is the price of advice? Sometimes pretty steep. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, or the better question is, what's the price of not following the advice, right? And then you have to say, well, is it good advice or not? Yeah, well, we've talked before about who do you get your advice from, right? Is it validated? Are you just asking everyone? I mean, are you taking like a public opinion poll? Because yeah. sometimes that's how the advice works too, right? Yeah, is it triangulated advice? Is it expert advice? Is it uh, neighbor's advice? Oh, I like the hairdresser one. You know. Yes. Well, that's, <laughs> that's been my favorite type. expression forever, but it's no longer as relevant. It's like it used to be the taxi driver and the shoe shine guy, but now it's probably like the, the Uber driver and the hairstylist or something. You know, I've, I've asked an Uber driver for advice, but it was more about where to eat in Las Vegas. Yes. Versus... And it proved very fruitful. This, this, <laughs> this to go. me is when you hear, when you're getting stock tips from your Uber driver, I'm always like, hmm. Insider right? info. So, yeah. <laughs> so here's here's my question. Not saying it never works, but I'm saying there there's your sign. Well, what's funny, I, I've noticed before too, it's uh, for at least for me personally, is that... Um, People that are good advice givers get hit up often. Like, I don't know how often you get hit up for advice that's outside of financial atmosphere. Never. Really? 
liar. Okay, that's that's, a that's lie. such a lie. <laughs> but but it's um so you know the the whole thing is that you go to the hairdresser and, and it's for the client to kind of say hey I need this advice or whatever and the hairdresser gives advice. I've gotten to the point now where people call me up all the time, and a lot of times it's relationship or different things. It's not about financial because I'm not allowed to give financial advice. But it's even though they kind of try to hit me, and I'm like, here's the phone number to the office, and you need to call and talk to the licensed advisors. But, um, but now it seems like I can't even ask for advice because people are always asking me for advice. Like in that moment of conversation where you think you're going to ask something, something else comes into it. And I was just wondering if you guys seem like that's you as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, but. I don't feel like it's. I mean, I'm not. I, I haven't noticed that personally. Maybe I don't have enough friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 they're like, dude, he's gonna bill me for it. I'm just not gonna ask. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, we, we don't work that way. No, it's. I'm just curious if people come to you guys for advice that's outside of fishing advice. Where are the fish biting? That's what I get all the time. Do fish. you really? All the time. Where are the fish biting at? And then you don't get accurate information from me. I tell you the wrong spot. So. <laughs> Oh, uh, duly noted. Yeah, right? I'm gonna that I'm gonna send you in the wrong. Thing, by yeah, the way. I'm gonna like, send you in the wrong direction. I always think it's funny to me that I I'll like catch a fish and I'm holding it and people are like no no you've got to push it way out in front of you and <laughs> you hold it do out like a forklift so it looks bigger and I'm like I once yeah. caught a fish about this big and that's but that's all I actually th- I want to touch on that for a second because that is something that happens a lot right so we talk about. Um, you know, stock tips and stuff that are in magazines. And I remember you saying, David, like, you know, if someone made all this money at this, why would they share it with everybody? Like, if it was well, a really hot tip, wouldn't you keep it to yourself and just no, make a ton of money? No, you'd want to share it? it with them because, I mean, if you're buying like a share of something, you want everyone else to buy it and help drive the price up. Oh, see, now you've totally hit on something. This was not, we were not even supposed to go there today. But I cannot resist. This is, but I'm saying this is good. I'm dangling the bait, keeping on the fishing analogy. You started with the fishing, though. But you know, like that, that, I get it. If you have a secret spot that's really working well, like why would you give it to everybody else? So then your secret spot's gone. Someone saw a picture. I had like 30 trout, me and some friends up at Hemlock. And they're like, what are they biting on? And I told them diced tomatoes. And they took it, pun intended, hook, line, and sinker. And I guarantee you, they were up there the next week with diced tomatoes that. Well, because and the I, hilarious thing is it may work. Yeah, uh, probably. They're just <laughs> trout, so you never know. Yeah, it kind of depends. Like, well, what are the conditions that they were biting? Not necessarily what are they biting. It could be all of the above. And I don't even know fishing, right? It was uh, power bait, just so you know, listeners. Fair but enough. Power bait. Yeah, power bait, not diced tomatoes. Okay, so this is where triangulation helps. Verify your information when you get advice and make sure. Yeah, go to the someone, internet. Make sure you're not being Someone is along. not misleading you on purpose because yeah, they don't want to give away their trade. I would check on social media. It's always right. That's correct. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you could take an opinion poll, right? We're going to triangulate. Oh, so when you goodness. said we weren't even planning on going there, but we're talking about it anyway, what were you well, referring to? So Matt's talking about something that's often referred to as pump and dump. Ah. Okay, and this is a strategy where if you want somebody to buy something, then you start marketing that particular stock. So imagine that I had a very low cost stock and I purchased a block of it and then I went out and started marketing to people about how great this stock was and generated demand and interest, right? So people start buying the stock and the price rises. And at some point, 
before there's specific news in particular, I decide to unload my position because there's a whole bunch of people that are buyers in the marketplace. And so I'm able to profit on that and walk away. And then when the demand dissolves because there's no other people making a market in the stock, everybody that was buying it has nobody to sell it to and the price collapses. So but you profit from it. In that's the, in called the a pump and dump scheme. It is illegal. Right. But it doesn't it's hard to track. And the Internet is really good at being nefarious about certain things. And so every time I see one of those, hey, what does this 22 year old that made one point six million dollars trading stocks know that you don't? And I'm like, he knows how to use the Internet to generate false demand. You know, <laughs> there like it that is. Kind of thing. <laughs> well, and if they're not in our industry, then at what point do they hold them to that kind of regulation? Uh, it's that's I think crime is crime. It's just hard to catch online. There you go. You know, that's that's part of it is that, you know, if they could be in Finland or something for all we know, or Nigeria, it's like, how do you stop that from happening? And there are lots of efforts, but things still get through. And, you know, I'm always amazed that. So think about I don't know how many relatives I have that are royalty in Nigeria, but it's a lot. And they really, <laughs> really want to, to give me share dollars in this inheritance I if I would simply collaborate and cooperate with them. And um, the only reason I can figure they keep doing this is because it works. Right. Thinking Somebody about like the Wall Street Best Reddit page, would you say that oftentimes that's just a targeted ploy for a pump and dump scheme? Sure. Build it up on the internet. They've already bought sure. in at something ridiculously low. Well, everyone and, gains well, traction with it. And that's why you need the GameStop thing was a reverse of that, right? Bumps. I guess so. It was like, yeah, that, it was, that it was, was a that backwards was pump and dump. Well, it started out as a pump and dump, and kind of. Well, no, it was the opposite. It was literally a short squeeze that was engineered by the masses. Yeah. But it was now, all if everybody is listening right now, going, I don't know what that means. Remember, if if you short more stock than exists. And then everybody starts buying it. You have to buy the stock back to yeah, cover you sell it. your short if the price starts going up because you, you had to borrow stock. And if the price goes against you, so, oh, I borrowed stock to sell it, and then the price starts going up, at some point I have to buy it back at higher than I borrowed it for, and there was no stock available. Right. Because, so yeah, there wasn't they, there like 1.7 sold or something. It was like a million shares. It was some ridiculous number yeah, where I it mean, was like, short, like a half a million shares. I will look at this and go, it was numbers. And it was exploited by this group on Reddit. And then the word got out and it went bananas. Talk about viral, right? Something Literally. that didn't exist in our 20s. <laughs> right. And then and, Blackberry. And it, it ended up. Just well, really negatively impacting the reputation of Robinhood because you know here's this company that was these people were using they halted it and they selectively dinged the little guys instead of yeah. the big guys and so it's like well yeah you damage your reputation if you pull a stunt like that even if it was justified with the numbers or the regs or whatever else like optics are important in the media right? yeah so that's what happened it's true interference in a free market yeah so. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that, yes, it's it's funny you would say the the pump and dump scheme or, or the, you know, where is the advice legitimate or not. But back to the original question, what's the price of advice? I don't know, but well, I bet you're going to tell us. So you avoid pump and dump schemes. There's one price for your advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, again. How do so, identify it? Yeah. So, and I will say that the price for advice is more than just that question. It's It's... So you've, you've got to think about 
if there's there's cost of the advice, so there's the price, there's the cost, and the cost is mechanical and opportunity, and then you also have to look at the value of the advice. There's all these different nuances. So we're gonna unpack them more, but we have to take another obscene profit break first. So stick around. We'll be right back after these super important messages, almost as important as ours. All right, this is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Well Show, where we have got enough people in studio that it's warm. <laughs> um, I think with one of us, it would still be warm because it's hot it's outside. Hot outside. It's, it's just... a little toasty outside. Yeah, we've set records and everything. Although not today. I guess that was over a week ago now. It's officially after July fifth, though, so it can be summer. I, okay. You haven't heard that? No. I, oh. I was. Fig- I thought I, for me it was always like June first. Like, oh, that's summer. Fourth of July, I feel like flips a coin every year. Like one year it's raining and it's cold, the next year it's super hot. Like it's whenever you can swim in the river, that's summer. Yeah. Right? That's it. Yeah. And that was about April this year. Yeah. (laughs) It's right. And then we went through a cold spell. And everybody in California went, What the heck are you doing? I look at it as the length of the day. That to me is like once the sun is still awake at nine PM, oh, it's summer. Right. That's true. And when it stops being awake, it's fall, which means September is when fall starts. And that's also when you go back to school. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess Schedules it's fall. shift, yeah. You know, it's like really football shouldn't start until September. I know people are like, did you just say that? I'm like, well, if you ever wore the helmet, you agree with me, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't Who wants put to the do summer training and running, doing up-downs in August in the middle of 100-something uh, yeah. degree heat? Daily pads. doubles in 100 degrees. Boo. Yeah, no fun. All right, so what's the price of advice? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked, Katie, because I think that that question is incomplete. It is. You know, one of my favorites, we talk about the question in in the question. Yeah, the question within the question. Exactly. So the price is, I think, multiple facets, right? One of them is, let's talk about the price. Like, well, what does it actually cost? Okay. How much do you pay for something or not pay for something? Okay. And yes, that phraseology matters. We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll talk about the opportunity, either avoided or the opportunity realized. Okay. Okay? That's not mechanical cost anymore, is it? That's that's a different thing, right? That's different. And then I think the other one is the value of what it is. And that's not really the price, but it's oftentimes implied because when you pay for something, you're expecting to get something. True. If you don't pay for something and you expect to get something, then it gets a little more... Yeah, subjective, right? I suppose it's all subjective if you really think about it subjectively. Really, David? Really? Yeah, we did okay. that. So, and then the price for not taking it, yes. right? Like, has there been advice in your life where you chose yeah, not to take kinda it? It kind of fits under the opportunity segment, too. Right. But this one, here's where I'm coming from on this one and why I even wanted to bring it up. Uh, it starts with a company that I like and respect, but I think that their marketing efforts over the years have really sort of tilted the perspective of many investors, perhaps so much so that they are missing 
uh, a full view of the picture, right? Like sometimes you can see one angle, but you can't see enough of it to know the rest of the picture. This feels like a Houdini magic trick. Okay, Sort of, a little misdirection, but I think that's a little heavy-handed. I don't want to make it sound nefarious, but so Vanguard. Okay. Very large provider Huge. of mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Right. They do it at a very low cost. Right. Right. If you look at their mutual funds and their exchange traded funds, their operating expense ratios are really, really low. Now, aren't they considered like a broker dealer relationship? Like it's not ongoing advice. It's more of a transactional. So, you can pay a premium to get the advice. Yeah, it's not necessarily. And I don't know if Vanguard may have an advice overlay where you can pay yeah. extra for it. Uh, you know, like Fidelity is another example, mutual fund company that has also a custodial environment. Uh, custodial means that they will hold investor monies. So think of Vanguard, they're they're an investment company. Okay. I know we're getting really semantic. I don't want to make the point of this show to unpack the different terminologies here between broker-dealer or investment company and so forth. No, but I think what Matt just said was important, right? Like if your value is, okay, come to me and buy it as cheap as you can. Oh, but now you have to pay for advice. Yeah. Then is it really that cheap? Well, and then you can even look lower on the totem pole. I have I had a friend come up to me last week, and they're like, "Hey, I heard about this really cool way to invest. There's a guy, and he picks all the stocks, and then he for you know thirty dollars a year, yeah, a you get access to his newsletter, and he's going to tell you where to put your money." But I looked at them and said, "Okay, yeah, you might have a snippet." or a screenshot of something that could be profitable, but what if the market's tanking? I mean, he's not there in your back corner with your phone number calling you and saying, hey. Now is not the time Now is not the time. That was... Well, not only that, there's a specific reason that somebody would offer a newsletter as opposed to doing it through a fund or even as a, a professional. And it's because you are arm's length. Somebody else can read it, interpret it, make their own judgment calls, yeah. and then they make they they're Less the ones liability. that pull the trigger. And so, so it's a set yeah separation it's a liability. of liability. Yeah, it's a liability issue. Yeah. So somebody that does that is just trying to sell information, and right. it's up to you to act on it. Right. It's no different than buying research at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and, you're buying his research or her research. Research. Yes. So that's a that is a different animal to me. Uh, but the larger point is that, you know, Vanguard is a structure that one of the things they used to do was they would they would talk about how low cost their different index funds were. You could buy the S&P okay. 500 index and, you know, you can get it for four basis points or something. Look at how cheap it is. I mean, everybody else is seven basis points. We're six or five or four, right? Not eight minute abs, seven, seven minute, minute abs. abs. <laughs> so, so y'all watched SNL, it. you get it. Okay. It's just a little cheaper, right? And then they would talk about how, look how much, if you only saved this many basis points on your account over a lifetime, it's so much money, right? This is the same way that somebody says, if you would pay off your mortgage faster, look at all the interest you would save, right? What you do is you say, well, let me take the time value of money, but show you the snapshot of all the dollars at one time. Right. Okay. Uh, you know who else does this? Tony Robbins. Timeshare presentations. Oh. <laughs> okay. Look at the value of a lifetime of vacations if you just pay for it all right now. Thanks for that little yeah. finger there, Matt Dixon. <laughs> so that is a technique to get folks to sort of skew when, how you're evaluating the money in that moment. Okay. Now, true enough, if you say, if it's cheaper over a lifetime and all other variables are identical, 
you save money, and that's money that stays in your pocket because it's an expense you don't incur. Right. But how often are those variables? That's the, always that's the, the question, same. right? Do the variables change or not? And Vanguard has another fantastic study that doesn't get showcased as often. We talk about it on this show sometimes. And it is that Vanguard actually recommends working with an advisor. They have a white paper on it. Right. Because investors make bad decisions a lot of the time. And the dis- and that's the other cost, right? The opportunity cost of how expensive is a mistake? Right. And that was, yeah, yeah. What is the price for not taking it or how how expensive is a mistake? If you were, you know, people always talk about timing the market, right? It sounds really easy. Like, oh, buy low, sell high. Great. Super you know, easy, except to do it. Except to actually do it. Like, do you know when the low is, right? And if you are not paying attention, what happens if you push in right before it starts to go down? And an advisor would be looking at the curve going down, but maybe you wouldn't because you don't know how to do that. Well, and let's not give the advisor too much credit, Uh-oh. right? Because where most advisors who are totally human, right? And look, they're I'm not right 100% of the I time. I am including myself in this category, right? We are not clairvoyant. <laughs> True. Okay. Yes. But what we typically are is less emotionally engaged in our own That's mess, true. right? I would say the ER doc doesn't get to work on their own family, right? right? They're emotionally compromised. So you don't do that, right? Policies at hospitals, like, no, if, if your kid comes in with a, an injury, we're putting a different doc on that kid. Because right. if you're in there, you may start making emotional rash decisions that could would compromise care. And that's not uncommon because a lot of emotions are associated with financial decisions. Yes. Right? I want something, but you know, do I need it? Right? And it's the, well, what about the other things? And, and so risk avoidance, risk seeking. I mean, how many times has the gambler said, I just need to bet one more time and I'll make my money back? Yeah. And they don't. Okay. Well, how many times has the investor panicked to get out just before the market recovers? Right. Or how many times has the investor insisted that the stock is going to go just a little bit higher and they refuse to take some profits? Right. Okay. True. Enter GameStop. Right. We were teasing about it earlier, <laughs> but that's the kind of scenario where people got greedy and there was a whole cult behind that that said, oh, ape strong, don't sell it, diamond hands, hoopla, hoopla. And people get harmed financially for that. Right? Yeah, and you don't hear everybody going, oh, I lost a bunch of money. Well, no, you do that too, believe it or not. There's a whole subculture of, I, I, it's an awful name, but I think they call it like uh, like lost porn or something like that, where people publish how bad they were damaged on the internet. I've seen it. It's pretty disturbing that that's the name and nomenclature, but it exists. Oh, man. Bragging about how much you can lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it. craziness stuff, but nevertheless... That is a weird emotional subculture going on there. Right. Right. Uh, And it's pretty raunchy. I'm not encouraging any of our listeners to go explore that space. It's pretty raunchy. So anyway, the, the, the cost of the mistakes can be high. The probability changes because of the emotions associated with it. And again, the advisor doesn't necessarily know any better than the next person. But what they are is they're more clinical typically, and if they're well-trained, they have some other things. Like, for example, if I don't know whether the markets are going to go down or up, then I may spread out the purchase over time and average your cost into the market. Okay? Right. So it's not- And I feel like there's p- the potential for less greed. Because when you have your own money in there and you're managing it yourself, you tend to get greedy. I mean, I've seen that from a mm-hmm. lot of different people. Like, oh, yeah, I did really well. I just did you know, 15% returns. 
I'm going to go into something way more risky, and I'm going to roll all the dice. And now well, I'm again, go you're always trying to double down, right? Like, yeah. So let me double down again. I I did it right the first time. Let me double down. And then yep. what happens when you get burned? Then you go, ooh, should stop. The casino effect. Right. Yeah, it totally I, is, right? Yeah. I won one hand, so let me play it all instead yeah. of taking my winnings. And we were talking about that a little bit earlier. You know, if your goal, if you bought a stock and your goal was to double your money. Yeah. And you hit that number, is it right to cash out? Right. But then people go, yeah. oh, but it's still going up. A lot so of people maybe lack I should stay in. And then they go and then all of a sudden they write it up, but then they write it back down. Well, right. And then it's not double their money anymore. Matthew, I think that you had a really sneaky point in there, though, too. It wasn't just about that the investor, it's easy to get greedy with the chunk of money. The advisor actually does have less at stake. Right. It's a, yeah. it's a it's an order of magnitude. Let's just use simple example math. But typically advisor firms somewhere. Let's just call it one percent because the math is easy. It means if you double your money, the advisor gets one percent of the account doubling if they are doubling that for you. So there's way less incentive to take on tons of risk because it's not yes. going to move the needle as much for them as it would for you. So it helps to keep the fiduciary alignment aligned right. right otherwise when you see a stock go up 40 50 percent overnight let me tell you you will be emotionally compromised i have personally experienced this i have watched big swings up and big swings down and i i've never had a client account bummer right but i've never woken up overnight and had their account go up four thousand <laughs> percent and, and all of a sudden i saw a 40 percent increase in revenue over for that client overnight never right. happened right. i'm totally looking for that to happen but how you make that materialize i'm not really sure within the parameters of investing right right that is pure speculation and beyond dumb luck if you can do a four thousand percent overnight price increase and again we talk about repeatability like the chances of you actually repeating that yeah slim to none well and usually the times that you hear that story they're inside transactions that I would even go so far as to call them cheating, right? This would be the fictional example here, but let's pretend like when Facebook was not even public yet, Mark Zuckerberg says, you know what? Uh, the value of the stock is currently one ten thousandth of 1%, and I'm gonna max fund my IRA or my Roth IRA. So I could put $6,000 of Facebook stock in there, and that ends up being 300,000 shares, <laughs> right? Oh and God. Facebook stock is now trading for $250 a share, and it's worth, I don't know, $9 billion. I'm just, don't even know the math, right? I'm just throwing a number out now. That would be a tax-free event now. When he's 59 and a half, tax-free Roth IRA with $9 billion in it. Okay, that's cheating. <laughs> I'm just it's cheating. Is it though? Well, it's because legal. Because he took the gamble on whether or not Facebook would become anything. No, he didn't. It's a $6,000 gamble with the kind of money they were talking about. That was just strategic you know, tax. The, the, the upside was infinity and the downside was next to nothing. So that was... That was not the way it was intended. And I'm a capitalist, right? And would I say do it if you could? <laughs> Darn tootin' I would. But was it what was intended when the regulations were put in place? Heavens no, right? The problem is you can't legislate to just Mark Zuckerberg. You know, we got 330 million people in this country. We're not going to legislate to one. It doesn't make sense. Right. So there'll be a few people that sneak by because they're super clever and because Believe it or not, I know this is going to shock our listeners, but there are some people, some of them with a lot of wealth or political clout, that cheat. 
What? Oh my gosh, did he just say that? Totally happens. And with that, you all can stew on that. Some powerful people cheat, but not these folks. We're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. I think you nailed it. <laughs> Welcome right. back to the True Well Show. Wait, wait, wait. Matt, yeah. share that. I mean, we're the laughing price of about advice. it. This is all you need to know right yeah. here. If it ends in a 99, you know it's good advice. 999, 10.99, <laughs> that's good advice. Good. That's right. Exactly. What if it ends in wow. 97 and has a star? Then you know Costco's going to clearance it soon. Oh, Ooh. there you go. <laughs> and if it ends in double zero, signs. you know that they're not going to carry it anymore. <laughs> You know it's actually a true thing. I didn't. No, yeah, yeah they totally I did not. Really, I did not know that. It's totally a legit thing. They as long their... as they keep carrying their pumpkin pies seasonally, I think that that is. Uh, that's all I like care about. Their thing. Right? The, the there's certain pies. there's certain departments I, that will always stay in business. The bakery being one of them. They still pine for the Polish dog. Why can't no. they bring back the Polish dog? Yes. No. Bring back. It's about I, the I pumpkin will sign. pie. Uh, By the way, they are I, not mutually exclusive. You are clearly missing the point. <laughs> so, like, one hand you have your pumpkin pie, and the other one you've got your Polish yes. dog. Yes, well, you can totally you buy do that. the pumpkin pie to leave with, but on the way out, you go to the little food court and you get a Polish, Polish so dog. So those pumpkin pies weigh a solid like three or four pounds. Yes, yeah, and I ate one in like two days. By yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, that's And then impressive. I went back and got another one. And I'm like, wait a minute. I might have a problem. Hey, Matt, we need to slow this down. I was trying pregnant? to. I was. <laughs> I was trying to train for Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, I was in prime shape that year. Success. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so, all right. The price of advice. First of all, I would say. I would advise you not to eat two pumpkin pies in a week Don't. from Costco. Don't. Do not do it. No, not even in a week. You said like two days. It was, it two, was days. Like two days. It was like two days. I said two pumpkin pies in one week. You know, a pie in a week, I might be able to let you slide on that. If it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's my weakness. Everyone's got a weakness. Mine's pumpkin pie. Well, and, I'm, and when you're, with you know, without six foot. Cream. Oh, an entire can of whipped cream. Like oh every single square inch. Same with waffles. Matt. I do the same thing with waffles. <laughs> We're going to get along well. My wife made waffles the other day. Pumpkin waffles. Okay. They're delicious. Try them. And you have to have whipped cream on every bite. Fair enough. You now, if you tell me you that you that enjoy like, height in your pumpkin legs to, like, beer, though, all that. my favorite no. name is how to enjoy pumpkin beer. Step one, pour it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not a pumpkin Boo. spice latte person either. So okay. I was. But price price of advice. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so here's the here's the Advice the home was stretch, donate two pies in one week. The home stretch <laughs> on advice. And I'm not even going to talk about how you're pricing. And I'm going to talk about... When should you seek it or not? And so I guess, first of all, I think you should seek advice most of the time. This is more about the last one is when should you be doing stuff yourself or not? Okay. And so that's the that's the opportunity cost element. Can you afford to do it yourself? There, there is certainly that. But this is the, the story when I say I have a yard service. Delighted with them. Uh, and it's not because they're perfect. I mean, like, we still have things where I'm like, hey, every now and then I have to call and say, can we kind of work on the other thing next time? And they're, oh, yeah, sorry. You know, but but it's cool. I love the fact that I have yard service because it means I get to play with my family during the weekends. Yeah, you're not busy. It's yep. your it's your cost of your time. And, and it's, it's buying time back. You know, when I talk about one of the things that we are trying to do at our firm 
is make sure that we're in the right spot for our clients at the right time. Okay. And, and this is an interesting one because when somebody's just getting started, the tough thing is there are so many firms that won't even talk to you. It's like, yeah, I'd like to get advice, but I've got nothing. And so I'm kind of forced into these environments where I'm in a do-it-yourself world. Right. There's some truth to that because the, the price of advice is also... Expensive. It well, can be the, expensive for what you're the, investing in. The provider has a cost. Right. Right. For us to stay open, there's all kinds of regulatory costs associated with it. And to have the team and the capacity and the ability to do the things that we do, there is real overhead. It is an actual business. I always think it's funny. It's not like folks wouldn't go to a restaurant and think the food should just be free. I mean, they, they may think it costs too much, but you're like, yeah, maybe you're comparing it to the grocery store or whatever, but it's not zero input cost, right? There was a cost. But the service industry, oftentimes people look at it and they think, well, I can go online and get something for free. And I go, can you? Well, you can, but is it good? Well, and not just that. If you go and do it, now you are doing it, right? Or should be doing right? it. Right? This is like you're mowing your lawn again. You're doing, you're changing your own oil. You're doing all this stuff. That brings up a good point. So by mm. the way, I do usually mow my own lawn. And I like me physically, not my husband, me, I mow the lawn. And the summer, because of being busy, we hired a yard service, right, for the summer. By the way, yard service does a better job than me. I'm just admitting that right now. Like, sometimes the person that you hired will do it better than you. And it's me not only being busy, but also, um, like you said, the cost, value, time, everything mm -hmm. else, right? And having time to do it. It's one thing if I'm doing it, but if I'm never doing it, then my yard looks like crap. So if you're doing your own investments and not paying attention to them, are you doing it justice? No. Yeah. <laughs> correct. The, the correct and no. No. <laughs> I, I, so the, the larger point is that we, we, we buy back time sometimes. And so that's the, is it really free? That's the real question. The cost of advice or the cost of not taking the advice, is it really free? And do you really have the time to do it? Exactly. So uh, we could unpack this more, but the music tells me we are out of time. So if you need to address these questions in your life, Katie, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. All right. Or check us out at littlejohnfs.com. And again, podcast tomorrow. So until next time, thanks for tuning in. But we got to run. This has been Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And Matthew Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.